You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. So excited about today. Uh, Today, uh, we are starting this episode where we left off, we did an episode on intermittent fasting. In actually, it was the last episode in, in season five, and it was so popular and so fascinating that we're going to take it one step further. And there is some research suggesting that it's better for your body, better for your weight, better for your health if you eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper. So what that means is as the day goes on, your calories decrease rather than increase, which is almost like the lifestyle of most Americans. And it has something to do with your circadian rhythms. So today we're going to talk about that. And I brought back my fabulous guest that I had last um, uh, episode, or I should say last season, uh, talking about intermittent fasting to take this one step further and, and talk about when you eat and the timing of when you eat may have an effect on your health. So today I want to welcome back Sangeeta Prudhan. She is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist and is the diabetes program coordinator at the Charles River Medical Association here in uh, Massachusetts. She also um, writes for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. She uh, is is a great speaker and is in high demand speaking about the intermittent fasting and what we're going to cover today. So with that, let me welcome back Sankita Budan. Thank you, Joan. Excited to be back on your show. Well, good. I am excited to have you. You know, we ended the season with you with rave reviews. And now, so I'm starting the season. I, I love rave reviews. So we're starting off with you. So before we get into, you know, when you eat and this whole idea, should you have more of your calories earlier in the day and taper them down as the day goes on? I think we, we just need a little bit of a refresher on what intermittent fasting is and why um, having a gap of when you're not eating may be helpful. So here you go. If you can, I know you can condense this because you're so good. So tell us in a, in a snapshot what intermittent fasting is. Sure, Joan. And I'm glad that we are prefacing the circadian rhythm discussion uh, with starting it with the intermittent fasting piece. So as you know, there are various fasting regimens and we discussed those in detail in the last episode. But essentially, the intent behind fasting is to put the body into a state of quote-unquote ketosis. What that means is it allows the body to switch from glucose as the primary fuel to fat as its backup fuel. And in that process, it produces these, it produces these wonder molecules called ketones, which have all kinds of beneficial effects on the body. 
but also most importantly, it triggers this unique process called autophagy. And in autophagy, what happens is that the body actually, quote-unquote, spring cleans. It removes the damaged molecules. It recycles and repurposes very cleverly, I might say, the salvageable components. In fact, DNA gets repaired, stem cells get activated, antioxidant genes get turned on, your mitochondria, the powerhouses of your cells, are cranking up their machinery. And so collectively, this individual or organism emerges at the end of this whole sort of bioenergetic challenge, which is fasting, it emerges more resistant to disease than ever and very resilient to subsequent challenges. It emerges all shiny and new. So at the end of the day, what we have done with fasting is that we have increased the lifespan, which is absolutely phenomenal. It's a game changer. And we can do that through the medium of intermittent fasting. But the most important point that I would like to get across today is that it takes at least 12 hours for your body to burn its glycogen stores in the liver before it can actually make that metabolic switch and switch to fat as fuel as opposed to glucose as fuel. So in a culture where we tend to eat incessantly, unfortunately, we don't really give the body a chance to flip that metabolic switch. And hence, I would make a case for time-restricted feeding, where we compress the eating window to anywhere from 8 to 10 um, well, I should say the fasting window should be at least about 12 hours to perhaps 14 hours to maybe 16 hours. And that gives the body an opportunity to actually dig into the freezer, so to speak, mobilize the fat and produce those wonder molecules called ketones. Okay, so what we're getting here is it sounds like uh, again, with the intermittent fasting or time-restricted fasting is what we're really going to be talking about today, is that stop eating after dinner, 6, 7 o'clock, and then don't eat. Don't No snacking at night, no getting up in the middle of the night snacking. Let the body fast for about 12 hours, and that would be like 7 p.m. to 7 in the morning before you start eating again because we want to give the body a rest, and it actually helps mend itself. So we want to have this window of not eating, which is called, considered, we call at the fasting time of not eating so the body can repair itself, go into its fat stores, create these ketones, these, these you know, miraculous molecules that help repair the body. So that is the, 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 what we want to be focusing on is giving the body a rest. But what we are going to be talking about today is we're going to take that now and we're going to talk about, but how can we take that? But also, is there something about 
eating more of your calories earlier in the day and tapering them as the day goes on. How does that affect your health? How does that affect your, your weight? And so, can you, can you, I'm reading a lot about this and I know you are the wisdom. This, so tell me why that may have, you know, a, a, an interesting impact on your body. So to really um, get into the nitty gritty of that, Joan, let's start with understanding the basic concept of circadian rhythms. Uh, all of this synchronizing our eating patterns with the circadian rhythms is where it all begins. So let me begin with what circadian rhythms actually means, if I may. So, so circadian stands for circadium or approximately a day, approximately 24 hours. And the circadian rhythms are these precisely timed internal processes in the body that govern our metabolism, our very behavior. And these are periodic patterns that repeat themselves every 24 hours. And we are all too familiar with these patterns. They are the patterns of the light dark cycle or night and day. And they're driven by these intrinsic biological clocks in our bodies. And unlike your alarm clock, they do not have a snooze button. And, and what's remarkable is that every living inhabitant on planet Earth, from the humble bumblebee to higher forms of life, like human beings and elephants, we all have these natural circadian rhythms. And they are so key to life itself because they regulate basic human physiological processes. From your sleep-wake cycle to the circadian expression of enzymes and hormones and genes, all of this is regulated by our circadian clocks. And it turns out that back in the prehistoric era, when we did not have Apple watches or smartphones, our prehistoric ancestors needed some sort of a nifty timekeeping device to tell them when to eat, when to sleep, when to hunt for food, all the functions that we take for granted today, they needed some sort of an intrinsic tool. And this is how over billions of years, the circadian rhythms evolved. And today they help us in, in a way to regulate our metabolism. Okay, so so again, here we go again. I've said this a gazillion times. Mother Nature is smarter than we are. Our bodies are smarter, smarter than we are. So it, it, to keep us regulated, to keep us healthy, uh, we basically had the twenty uh, uh, circadian rhythms were light and dark. When it was light, you got up, you ate, you hunted, you did whatever. Light, light goes, uh, you know, sunsets, you got to go to sleep. I mean, there's nothing to do. You don't have electricity. So, so basically, this kept everything going perfect until 
you know, we became industrialized and now we have you know, lights and we have uh, electricity and we have Netflix and we have Jimmy Kimmel at 1130 at night when we should be sleeping rather than listening to him, although he's quite funny. Um, so that's fouling things up. So how does the, you, you had said hormones and enzymes. So how does this circadian rhythm, this 24 hour cycle that our body loves to be on, how does that affect our metabolism? That's a great question. So basically, the circadian system actually consists of two parts. There is the central clock, the central timekeeping device, if you will, in your hypothalamus. And it's actually found in a structure of the hypothalamus known as the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Try saying that 15 times. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. easy for you to well, say, honey. I, I know, right, exactly. Really. It's a mouthful, right? So it actually consists of 20,000 neurons. And this little structure in the brain that houses our master clock is actually entrained by light. So more on that in just a moment. But what it does is it actually synchronizes a series of peripheral clocks that are found in your organs, which is kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? Every organ, every cell actually has its own intrinsic clock. And this master clock, like a master conductor, orchestrates and synchronizes all these clocks by releasing hormones. And that then creates this wonderful, very intricate circadian rhythm. But like you said, Joan, what is happening today is our modern lifestyles where we can eat, drink, sleep, work through the night, you know, on an important project work around the clock. What that is doing is it is presenting a clear and present danger to these age-old rhythms. But to go back to what I was talking about, those peripheral clocks are entrained by food. And again, in a moment, I'm going to explain what that actually means. But essentially, and this is really the crux of the matter today, Joan, essentially what happens is that the timing of our food plays a very key role in synchronizing these rhythms. So we really need to pay attention to what time we are eating our food. But allow me to talk a little bit about entrainment because this is all very key to understanding the implications that the circadian rhythms have on our metabolism. So, okay, well, this is your episode, so you could just go, go run with it. Go ahead. Thanks, Joan. So, what happens is that in the morning when we wake up, we actually wake up because there is a photosensitive protein in the eye known as melanopsin. Yeah, it's another mouthful. What can I say? So melanopsin gets activated with light. And when it is activated, it sends a signal down the optic nerve to the central clock, our master clock, in that suprachiasmatic nucleus. And in so doing, it kind of wakes up the clock, if you will. It says, hey, buddy, time to wake up, rise and shine. So the master clock then gets ticking so to speak. And what it does is it plays a very important role in the release of two very key hormones. So it releases cortisol, which we all know is a stress hormone, but it actually keeps us active and alert during the day. 
So a very important role that the master clock plays is that it regulates the production of cortisol, your stress hormone, but this hormone keeps us alert and active over the course of the day. And when this master clock is quote-unquote entrained by light, it releases cortisol. And in fact, cortisol rises just before we wake up and continues to rise over the course of the day so we can perform all our tasks. And it also releases insulin. Now, if you think again, going back to the prehistoric era, when our ancient ancestors had to wake up at the crack of dawn and go hunt a beast or maybe run from a beast, who knows? But they needed the oomph to be able to do that. They had to be active and alert. Otherwise, they would have become a meal for the next beast that came along. So the body very cleverly figured Hey, the dude's going to be hunting. He's going to be getting some food. I need to also release some insulin. So certain hormones are released during the light cycle or during the day. And then there is a change of guard at night. So as the day progresses and as dusk falls, melanopsin, which is very sensitive to light, then gets deactivated. But because our master clock is entrained by light or lack of, as melanopsin gets deactivated, the signal to the master clock is, okay, buddy, time to wind down. And so the master clock then puts a break on insulin and releases the sleep hormone melatonin. And therefore, about a couple of hours before our habitual bedtime, we tend to get drowsy because melatonin is beginning to peak. But guess what? Melatonin is actually an insulin antagonist. So it suppresses the production of insulin. So as dusk falls, your body actually makes less insulin. And we need to take our cue from this because if I eat a huge dinner, let me tell you, I'm not above reproach. I've been known to do that. But if I eat a late dinner, chances are that because I have less insulin in my system, I am going to see a higher rise in glucose after that dinner meal compared to what I would have seen earlier in the day. So this again is extremely important. And finally, to really answer your question on how the circadian rhythms affect our metabolism, the central clock and the peripheral clocks work in concert to optimize metabolism because they regulate an array of metabolic processes in the body, including insulin sensitivity, insulin secretion, cholesterol synthesis, fat oxidation, energy expenditure. All of these follow a rhythm across the 24-hour day, and that rhythm repeats itself every day. Okay, so if I get this straight then, so you're telling me that you, you know, again, your hormones are in the circadian rhythm, and it appears that in the light cycle, 
insulin is is up and ready to go and and insulin helps get you know, glucose into your cells so you can run after the beast and you can have dinner and find breakfast and blah blah blah, blah. so later on as the day goes on the insulin goes down right and then and you have less of it but you're you're still eating and you have less of it so your blood now is full of all this glucose all the foods and the snacks that you're doing so what happens when your blood has like all this glucose and we have less insulin around Exactly. That's an, that's an awesome question. So what is happening unbeknownst to us? First off, I just want to point out one quick thing also, because this is all about hormonal dysregulation when we are in misalignment with these age-old rhythms of the body. So it so happens that the um, bright light, sunlight, the blue um, spectrum, the blue light of the spectrum, if you will. It actually suppresses melatonin. And that is why we, we are typically not drowsy during the day. But when there's that change in guard, melatonin rises, which means insulin falls. So to answer your question, I do not have an adequate amount of insulin in my blood later at night. However, if you're eating all that food late at night, and if there's a large amount of melatonin, which suppresses insulin production, you don't have adequate amounts of insulin on board. So you're going to end up with high levels of blood glucose. Your post-meal blood sugar levels are going to be very high. And that, of course, uh, does not bode well for us because there's a cascade effect from that, where especially if we are insulin resistant, what that means is if we are not responding to insulin efficiently, eventually that excess glucose can get stored in the liver, creating fatty liver and symptoms of what is called metabolic syndrome can be seen. So there's this whole cascade effect that can occur if we don't pay attention to the timing of our meals and our eating patterns are out of step with the age-old circadian rhythms of the body. So, so what we're saying here is you shouldn't be eating a lot of your calories later in the day because that's not when insulin is, is most effective. And it should be, so insulin should go night-night uh, at the end of the day, but you're eating. So now the pancreas is saying, oh gosh, these eating, so I got to bang out more insulin. And you're really taxing the pancreas by banging out this extra insulin, which should have gone to sleep, but you're eating and you, it's going to affect and, and have long-term effects. You know, you're just basically burning out your pancreas and or taxing it, I should say, to make an insulin. So you're really fouling up all the natural rhythms of your hormones throughout the day by by eating um, t uh, at nighttime when you should be sleeping. Exactly. And it also so happens is uh, uh, what, what we also want to note here is several of these circadian rhythms actually peak in the biological morning or early afternoon, or let's just say these rhythms tend to be at their optimal in the light phase of the cycle. And so basically our bodies are primed to eat, digest, and assimilate nutrients during the light phase of the cycle. And because of our modern lifestyles, as we start pushing those limits, we really could potentially break down these clocks 
And because they are ruling the roost when it comes to fundamental metabolic processes in the body, we're going to pay the cost with our health. But enough of the doom and gloom. If we can just synchronize our eating patterns so that we shift that eating pattern to the earlier part of the day, or at least limit it to the light phase of the cycle, then we probably have it made. You know, it sounds like we can get two for the price of one. You know how I love to shop. So, so it sounds like that if you would eat more of your calories during the day, when when your body is when insulin is most efficient during the light cycle, and, and let's face it, we know food is fuel. So, what the heck? Let's put good fuel in your tank so this way you can function throughout your day. And then, if you taper down and have less at night. And go to sleep and then have that 12-hour fasting where you're not eating from 7 p.m., say, to 7 a.m. or 8 o'clock in the morning. I get two for the price of one. So I get, I have that, I'm eating right when I'm supposed to be eating, when my hormones should, you know, are functioning the best during the day. And I'm not eating at night and during this fasting window of, say, about 12 hours, which is allowing my body to rest which is allowing ketones to arise, which is allowing me to clean out my cells and do all these wonderful things. Do I got this? You got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when healthy adults actually ate identical meals um, at breakfast, lunch, or uh, or dinner, the postprandial, meaning the post-meal glucose rise was lowest after breakfast and highest after dinner, which is completely consistent with the data that we just discussed. So, right, because because when they ate it earlier, they had more insulin and and it got efficiently metabolized and did what it had to do. But it, when you ate it a lot at night, that's where we, you know, insulin is not as efficient. You, you got to bang out more. You shouldn't be doing that. And also, you're going to affect this twelve hour of not eating because you're going to go bed. You're eating with Jimmy Kimmel at eleven o'clock, and then you're getting up at six and eating again. So the optimal eating window would be, let's say, a fasting window. That might be a better way of looking at it. Would be perhaps a 12-hour fasting window, perhaps a 13-hour fasting window. And what you do then with that is you're double dipping. You have created a, um, a condition where the body is forced to flip that metabolic switch and dip into the freezer, mobilize fat, burn that fat to produce those wondrous molecules called ketones, perhaps, perhaps trigger autophagy. But at the same time, if you shift that eating pattern to earlier in the day, then not only only are you reaping the benefits of intermittent fasting by producing ketones, hopefully triggering autophagy, but also because we know that those circadian rhythms tend to peak during the light phase of the cycle, you have also harvested the benefits of uh, the circadian, the benefits that you would get from the circadian rhythms of the body. So in a way, you're kind of double dipping. There you go. I was going to say, you, you, you talked about a study, uh, and I read about a study where, um, you know, where, where the 
it was a study of women, I, I believe, and they, they put them into two groups. And they gave one set of women um, like a, 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 a breakfast like a king, 700 calories. And they gave them lunch, uh, 500 calories like a prince. And then for dinner, they ate like a pauper, 200 calories. But then the other group flipped it, which is more like the American style, where it was a small uh, breakfast of 200 calories. The lunch was the same, 500 calories, but the dinner was typical American, 700 calories. And while if you put you know add all that up, they're both 1,400 calories, which would produce a weight loss for any women because that's little calories. But wasn't there something really interesting about when they ate breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper? What effect did that have on their weight? So, um, yes, that was an extremely interesting study. And what they found was that even though the weight loss across both the groups, not surprisingly, it was only 1400 calories a day, both groups lost weight. However, the weight loss in the, the, let's just call it the breakfast group. And when I, when I say breakfast group, I mean the folks who had the larger breakfast, uh, the king breakfast, let's call it the king breakfast, if you will. They found that the weight loss was 2.5 fold, two and a half times greater in the king breakfast group as opposed to the dinner group. Not surprisingly, what was really compelling though was that glucose levels dropped significantly in the breakfast group. Insulin levels dropped significantly in that group. Their ghrelin levels, ghrelin is your hunger hormone. Their ghrelin levels dropped significantly. Their hunger scores dropped significantly. And not surprisingly, their satiety scores were through the roof. So this clearly is a very solid argument for your hypothesis, Joan, about eating breakfast like a king and dinner like a pauper. So all this study was very consistent with the data that we have already discussed. Basically, when we are in misalignment with our circadian rhythms, we see dysregulation of the fundamental met metabolic yeah. processes Sandita, I would in the body. Think and you know uh, that if you're eating like you should more during the day mm -hmm. light cycle and less at night, what we just saw, that that mm -hmm. you're even the the diet, the quality of your diet must improve. Because let's face it, if if, if you get up in the morning, you know, Absolutely. and have a breakfast. Mm -hmm. And even if it's a king breakfast, mm -hmm. you know, the foods that you mm -hmm. typically have in the morning would be like cereal and dairy, milk or yogurt and fruit. And so mm -hmm. this is really great food. Now, if you don't eat like a king, eat like a papa, mm -hmm. and you have your calories later at night, you're not eating mm -hmm. cereal and fruit and yogurt with Jimmy Kimball. You're eating, you know, no. snickerdoodles and, and whatever and, and chips and everything. So it's not only you have a better shot of eating, not only is it better for you to eat early in the day, but probably the foods that you would choose would actually more likely be healthier. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's think about this, right? Let's say you, you are a breakfast skipper and, you know, there's many of us who might do that. 
Again, probably because of the demands of our modern lifestyles. So let's say you skipped breakfast. There is a hormone called ghrelin, which we alluded to earlier. This is your hunger hormone. And the longer you go without food, the higher ghrelin rises. So if you end up eating your first meal at, say, 2 p.m., Grillin has turned into a monster that's going to fill the room. In other words, you're going to be so ravenous, you're probably not going to care. Did you can eat anything that's not moving, basically. Exactly, which will clearly compromise your diet quality. Here we go. So it sounds like, is there any, it sounds like this to me is a no-brainer that, you know, breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper will be better in sync possibly improve the quality of your diet. So is there any reason why we shouldn't be doing this? Yes, and you know, it all makes intuitive sense, doesn't it? Because when you, first off, as I said earlier, these circadian rhythms tend to peak during the biological day. um, And the right hormones are released at the right time. When we present our body with food, Um, or light at the wrong time, the wrong hormones are released, which can then completely disrupt these, uh, these natural rhythms. But it, well, it's getting close to um, lunchtime. So my prince or princess lunch is waiting for me. And I am going to have a a papa of a dinner. I'm going to just tell you that right now. So with that said, I'm telling you again, another unbelievable thank you, Sagita Pradhan, for helping us to understand how when you eat affects your body, affects your circadian rhythm, and how it can affect your health. Thank you again for being on Spot On. Thank you so much for having me. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you? <laughs>